Welcome to this episode of the Farm Exec Podcast. I'm Meg Rivers, Managing Editor of the Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine and your podcast host. The Farm Exec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest in commercial insights to master the science of success. On this week's episode, I will speak with Rebecca Martin, Senior VP of Reward and Inclusion at AstraZeneca, and we talk all about finding and keeping the right talent, identifying and nurturing talent, specifically students, and diversity in the workforce. I really liked what Rebecca had to say about DEI, so definitely stay tuned for that. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back with the interview. Hey there, Andy Studnett, co-host of the Applied Clinical Trials podcast here. Check out brand new episodes of the ACT podcast every two weeks on Tuesdays at 10. And you can find past episodes plus much more by logging on at AppliedClinicalTrials.com. Rebecca, thank you so very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to our conversation, Meg. Awesome. Okay, let's just do the thing and we're going to jump into the questions. To get started, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? What has your journey into the world of pharma been like? And did you see yourself working in this industry maybe when you finished school or were getting started in your career? Yeah, great question. So I'm, um, I grew up in the UK and the privilege that I had in my childhood, we didn't have a lot of money, but both of my parents were teachers. So they were really reinforcing to me the importance of, you know, doing well at school. And the subjects that I really enjoyed most were science subjects. So from a very early age, I enjoyed science. And I was originally thinking that would lend itself towards a career in medicine and becoming a doctor. And I ended up going on a course and I realized I didn't want to be a doctor like all of the people around me, all of these people who were aspiring medical students. I'm squeamish, too. So I would have been a terrible doctor. And at that point, I made the transition and I decided I was going to do a science subject at university and I did biochemistry at Oxford. I really enjoyed it, but I couldn't see myself as a bench scientist. And so I still wanted to look for a profession. And at that point, I converted and did a law degree. So I qualified as a lawyer. I trained in a law firm in London. And then when I had my family, I've got two not so young kids now, two teenagers. When I had my family, I've moved up to the Northwest and was working at a law firm there. And that's where I first came across AstraZeneca. So AstraZeneca was a client of mine. I was a specialist employment lawyer, so advising on all sorts of things to do with employment law. And then an opportunity came up for me to actually move inside the company rather than being the outside lawyer. And I would say I've never looked back. AstraZeneca is a super different company than the one that I originally joined, but it's something which I've really felt empowered to follow my career and grow during the course of my time here. So I've been with AstraZeneca for 11 and a half years, and I moved through various different roles in legal. I got a chance to go on assignment with my family out to Singapore, which was just amazing. You know, little me and growing up in, in the UK, never thought that would be part of my journey. And now I moved into HR about five years ago, and I lead the reward, inclusion and talent acquisition functions here. So me and my husband joke, things escalated quickly, but I've certainly never looked back. I love this company. Oh my gosh. I love like how you described your journey. That all sounds super exciting. When you said you went to Singapore with your family, was that like a temporary uh, relocation? Your whole family went for, I don't know, a couple of years? Yeah, whole family went. 
it was originally going to be about three years. We stayed for 15 months because another opportunity came up back in the UK, a promotion. Um, and my kids were seven and five at the time. So it was just really sort of, it opened our horizons into what's possible. And what I feel has been the legacy of that is my kids will think in a different way about what a world of work could look like. You know, the world's a smaller place when you've already lived in two countries by the time you, uh, you know, become a teenager. So yeah, it was, I was the commercial lawyer there for nine countries in Asia area. So that was a, a special moment for me because I knew I couldn't be an expert in everything. I had to, had to keep learning, had to listen and had to engage with people who were all quite different. Potentially obvious question, but because you have this background as a lawyer, which I find fascinating, do you use any of those skill sets and things in your current position at AstraZeneca? I would say yes. So there's lots of transferable skills. I think this is also true of science as well. It's a kind of um, critical thinking um, and being able to problem solve is something which is very helpful as a lawyer. And then communication is really important. So being able to put things in simple language really helps when we're looking to influence change across the organization. So I think that there is a kind of clarity of thought that comes from my legal training, which I find helpful, but then also the way that we present that message to those that we're looking to influence that can make a big difference. I don't know why the thing that popped in my head was communicating clear expectations. I feel like that language and stuff must be very helpful in your current role, which I do want to talk about. So in your role, obviously have a lot to do with recruiting folks and finding and keeping the right talent is obviously a big challenge across this industry and many other industries. So to start, um, what do you feel are some of the reasons that finding and keeping talent is a challenge today? So I think that the world is a much noisier place than it used to be. You know, there are so many opportunities, so many channels through which people can find companies that they may want to work for. So I think that the importance of having a strong employer brand is critical. Um, Something that we have been building and, and are able to, you know, we're in a position of strength because AstraZeneca, I remember when I first joined, people were like, Astra what? You know, people didn't know the name of the company, but given everything that we've been doing with all of the new medicines that are now available and the work on the COVID-19 vaccine, for example, everybody knows AstraZeneca and that's an important piece. But then I think it's also about what the environment's like inside the company and what the people are like that becomes a really differentiating factor. And You can join AstraZeneca for a particular job, but it's not just about that job. It's about the career that you can go on to have. And that becomes very compelling. And then the third thing I would say is having a company with purpose, a purpose to do something good in the world. That's what a lot of people are looking for out of their working lives. And I think that that's where pharma companies and and AstraZeneca can really lean into that difference because it's all about patients as well as having a, a positive impact on the world. Awesome. Thank you so much. So based on some of the things that you just said, you had mentioned employer brand is really important. Can you explain why that is? Because you had mentioned, you know, um, having an impact is really important. So do potential employees need to think of the brand and think this is their impact that I know of? Or is it for another reason? I'm curious. So I think when people are evaluating which type of company they want to work for, they need to know what are the values of that company. What is it here to do and what type of behavior, what type of people is the company looking for? And are those the kind of people that I want to work with? 
So I always consider an interview process to be a two-way process. You know, not only is the company looking at the range of candidates that are available, but each candidate's going through its own thought process. Is this a job that I want? Is this a company that I want to work for? And so one of the things which I think differentiates AstraZeneca is the importance of inclusion and diversity. So people having finding and having their voice being valued for the difference that they're bringing and also valuing that that in others, that's a key differentiator. And the other is the emphasis on lifelong learning. So I've talked about my journey inside the company being one where I've been able to step outside my comfort zone, do lots of different things. And that's really the kind of career that we want people to be able to emulate as they move through our organization, becoming, you know, increasingly senior and in different positions. Those are the kinds of differentiators which I think really help people to appreciate what the company is like on the inside. So you've talked a couple of times about what the company is like on the inside. And that makes me think of the big interview question that everybody asks, which is what is your company culture like? How mm-hmm. can you slash do you communicate the company culture to employees and say, hey, this is a good place to work? Like, how can you communicate that without them physically being there? It's a great question. I think there are ways in which we can help people to understand what it's like inside the company by employees sharing their voices, their experiences of working inside the company. So if you go into our career site, for example, you will see little videos of people talking about what it's like to work inside AstraZeneca. That's a great way to open open a window. The other way is to talk about our shared values and behaviors, because these really ground us, you know, in terms of following the science, doing the right thing, um, the way that we put patients first. These are things that people can Um, identify and understand whether or not they associate with them, whether they resonate for them personally. So I'd say those are some of the ways. You had also mentioned before your efforts for more diversity in your workplace. How do you essentially keep yourself, not you personally, but like your department and your company, how do you all keep yourself accountable for things like DE&I, so diversity, equity, and inclusion? How do you ensure that there is diversity? Do you have, I don't know, processes in place or policies in place? Yeah, we do. So if I take it, just to break it down, we put inclusion before diversity when we talk about it, because that environment of inclusion where people feel valued for the difference that they bring and are appreciating that in others, that is what delivers diversity. If you are different and you arrive in an organization and you're the only person that has that particular difference and you're not appreciated for that difference, then it's going to feel quite exclusionary. You're not going to be able to participate in the right way. You won't be as encouraged to speak your mind. You might feel that you need to wear a mask to join the workforce, you know, that you pretend that you're something that you're not. So inclusion is important. We measure inclusion. We um, measure that through our engagement survey where we're asking our employees to tell us how they feel. So that's an important component to delivering on diversity. And then when it comes to diversity itself, something that we've had for many years is on an annual basis, we set ourselves an ambition level against various um, different things. For a long time, we've had ambitions around women representation. And we're doing really well there. So what we've seen over recent years is we now are at 50% in our broader workforce are women, but 50% at really very senior levels in the organization are also women. And that continues to grow and build. So we have these annual metrics that we put in place around that. And then we also encourage people to share with us their diversity in Workday, which is our HRIS platform. 
so that we can diagnose and they do this on a confidential basis, but we can diagnose where we might have an underrepresentation issue so that we can look to um, move forward with it. And to do that, there's a combination of different things that we can put in place to help to make sure that we're not just attracting diverse talent, but we are developing, retaining and moving people up and further into positions of seniority in the organisation. So development programmes focused at specific groups, for example. These are all things which can help to ensure that the diverse talent that we have stays with the organization and feels appreciated and is able to do the great things that, that we need them to do to deliver collective performance. I love how you said that you put the I in DEI first for inclusion. I haven't heard it phrased that way before, so I really liked that. But my next question for you is what are some of the potential ways to address the need for talent? So there's lots of different ways. I think we have an enormous amount of interest in the vacancies that we post. So we have hundreds of thousands of applicants for our jobs. That is a great thing. It's a nice problem to have in a certain way, but we need to be able to make sure that we are servicing those people that are best matched for the jobs that we have available. And we have an equitable process in order to select candidates to take roles. So that attraction into the organization, huge success in attracting people to AstraZeneca, but then there's a selection exercise that needs to happen. And we need to make sure that is fair and objective. That's really key. And then the other part of ensuring that we deliver on this is looking at internal talent. So we are looking at ways in which we can enhance the visibility of opportunities inside the company and ensure that the internal talent can also see what's available and can also you know, own and invest in their own development to move to those next level roles. And it's both of those things which make up the whole. Shifting gears a little bit, we are talking about in general, you know, kind of getting talent, but let's talk about young talent. Mm. In what ways can the industry increase interest in working in biopharma or for the pharmaceutical industry in general? So there's a number of things that we do to ensure that we are encouraging people to think about careers in STEM. So we have STEM ambassadors that participate in outreach to make sure that we are elevating awareness about roles in science. An example of this would be we have International Day of the Girl we celebrate inside the company. And we have a Girls Belong Here campaign, and that's bringing people who are school age or in university into AstraZeneca. They spend a day in the life of people in senior positions, and they have the opportunity to ask questions and to understand. And one of the things, and I've participated in this myself, one of the things that many of the people that come into AstraZeneca and engage in this sort of day, it opens their eyes because they think of a pharmaceutical company perhaps as just being scientists. And yes, we have science roles, but that all of the other roles that we have inside the organization and people think, oh, crikey, yes, there's, there's real opportunities for the kind of career that I'm interested in. So that sort of encouraging people to think about careers in STEM, encouraging people to think about a career in a pharmaceutical company, those are two key components. And then there are things that we do around apprenticeships, internships, industrial placements. We have a lot of PhD students who come to us that will all be then getting that exposure and experience of AstraZeneca that may incline them to think about a career with us too. I love that. And to clarify, when you're talking about having students come into the company and, you know, have some outreach and share with them essentially that, you know, they could come into the pharma industry post-graduation, 
is it primarily college students or university students that you're dealing with? Or do you also have outreach to, well, in the U.S., we call it high school students, but I'm assuming it's like secondary school students for you? Yeah, so we have our apprenticeships. They're coming straight from school, as well as the graduate programs we have where we'll be bringing people in from university. I think something that's also important, we touched on inclusion and diversity earlier, is that we really make sure we challenge ourselves on when our jobs require a degree in a particular subject, because there is always the risk that we shrink the pool of potential candidates for a role because we have particular requirements around degree level education, and that might not always be the case. So for sure, there will be a huge number of our roles which require degree level qualifications, but there will be some that won't. And so we shouldn't have that as a barrier in our sort of candidate requirements list. And that, that's another area I'd highlight. Do you foresee that, and by that I'm referring specifically to having more roles that you don't require, say a university degree or specific type of degree, do you foresee those roles becoming greater in quantity? Because I feel like at least when I graduated, you know, years ago, that really wasn't a thing. So I'm curious kind of what you foresee for that. I think having a degree is going to remain important for a lot of roles, right? So we're in a science-based organization, being abreast of the latest development in science and pushing the boundaries of that and being innovative, that requires a deep level of expertise that people who have you know, got studied to postgraduate level will be able to bring. So I think that's always going to be important. What I would say, though, is a more important quality for the future that will be across all of the roles we have is learning agility. Like we've learned over the last few years, I think everyone in the world, that things can change very fast. And the pace of change is increasing. The pace of development of technology is increasing. And we need to be able to anticipate that and adapt to that. And so people that have that learning agility, that enjoy learning and can thrive in a learning environment, those are the ones which will be really successful. And I think that will be a key component of future roles in any company, actually, whether or not you have that learning agility that enables you to be one step ahead of the change that's for sure coming. Excellent. Final question for you is what do you see as trends for the pharma workforce in say maybe the next five to 10 years? So I think trends in the pharma workforce, I pitched on one with learning agility. So this concept of being a lifelong learner, being ready to embrace change and see it as a positive, to be willing to step outside of our comfort zone. This is going to be a key theme because the world is changing. The pace of change is increasing. So that's critical. Alongside that, I would also say that the digital skills will be critical in pharma going forward, as they will in many companies. And with technology evolving so quickly, the use of artificial intelligence would be another example I would give. So we have people across the organization who are already adept and at the forefront of this, but it's going to touch almost every single role. So we have to be willing to to keep learning and to make sure that we can identify those opportunities to understand a bit more about technology so that we can actually be building this for ourselves. Fantastic. Any final thoughts, things that we didn't discuss that you would like to add to this conversation? I think the piece which I'm particularly passionate about, which we perhaps haven't touched on in in much detail, is the importance of psychological safety. It's that feeling that we can be different. We can speak our minds. Having a different opinion has its own value. 
and making sure that we're not always thinking about psychological safety for ourselves, but we're creating that for others. That's something which I think is really important. And and when you have an organization which gets that right, combined with the purpose of an organization and the difference that we can make for patients, that's really magical. And so that would be something that I would call out. How would you create psychological safety within a company? Or what are, I don't know, three things that you can do or a couple things off the top of your head? So I think there's a number of things. The first I can give you as a leader is asking for people's opinion, creating space, not expressing your own view first, but inviting that of others. Then when we do have a particular opinion, making it safe for people to challenge or to see things differently. So that's about the environment that we are creating. And I think for everyone inside the organization to be authentic, you know, we don't have all the answers, be curious, be authentic, and we can solve any problem together. So that would be another one I would call out. And I think willing to be vulnerable is important. And that's sort of what I aim to do. I don't always get it right. But I think if you can be authentic, vulnerable, create space for questions, then these are three things which are going to help us to ensure that we're delivering on that sort of safe environment. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay. Let's move now to our leadership tip, which is a tradition of the Farm Exec podcast. What is one tip on leadership that you'd like to share? This could be to the younger version of you. This could be to, I don't know, peers in the industry, whatever you're feeling. When I was earlier in my career, I used to beat myself up about my choices and where I was spending my time. You know, two young kids leaning in on the job. I never felt like I was in the right place at the right time and I could feel a little bit stretched. And one of the things that I've learned to do is to give myself permission and recognize it is about choice. So I love my kids. And when I can, I spend good quality time with them. But I also recognize that, you know, our lifestyle is possible because of my choices around the work that I do and the way that I lean into that. So I think it's just be present and be kind to yourself, really. I love that. All right. That is the last of my questions. Thank you very much, Rebecca, for joining us today and for letting me pick your brain. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Meg. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Exec Podcast, where we take you behind the headlines to provide expert tips from industry leaders. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube at Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of Farmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions or to get in touch with the editors, please email us at farmexec at mjhlifesciences.com. For sponsorship opportunities, please go to farmexec.com slash advertise. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.